Hey everybody, this is A7X Fan Ben, and this is Pirate CSG Podcast number 30. So on this episode, I'm going to be discussing some random stuff from the survey results suggestions, and so I'm going to be going over a short overview of the game history, uh, how to build a good fleet, um, some tips on that, looking at some of my fleets, the how and why of fleet building. I'm going to try to find a few unknown parts of different keywords via the master keyword list, look at at least one thing in the pirate code, and then I'm going to rank the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and why I have that ranking. Um, these are all from the survey re- suggestions, and if you're seeing the post uh, for this podcast, you can take the, the podcast survey if you haven't already. So jumping right into things, somebody requested the game history. This is something I probably won't go into too much detail on because it, all the information is already out there. So I'm going to link to the Wikipedia page for the game, which has a ton of great info. And basically... WizKids started the game in 2004 with Pirates of the Spanish Main, the first set coming out in June 2004, and they basically released 13 sets in a general five-year span from 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, and then the game was shut down in the heat of the financial crisis back on uh, November 10th, 2008. That's when Tops shut down WizKids. Tops uh, owned WizKids back then, and then it says on September 14, 2009, NECA, NECA as I call them, uh, announced the purchase of the WizKids name and properties from Tops, specifically including the Pirates line, which was canceled. And then on March 9, 2012, WizKids announced that they plan to release a cards-only version of the game. So that's that's the the attempt at a relaunch. It didn't go well, evidently, because there wasn't anything since then. And you know, the, the few people in the community that have tried the card game did not like it at all. And it's not at all like the ship, uh, the, the actual constructible game. So that's a general history. So 13 sets in, in like a four or five year time span, I think is, is quite a lot and pretty impressive overall. It also said on the Wikipedia page, uh, the game won the Origins Vanguard Award in 2005. And I do remember seeing a sticker on my D.B. Jones curse box um, from some, maybe it was Origins again, some kind of award in 2006 because BJC came out that year. Um, so pretty pretty good, pretty successful. Uh, Wolf has talked about in the past how the sets actually kind of came out too fast in some ways. It didn't really give people uh, room to breathe in between sets sometimes. There were only a few months in between once in a while. And some of the sets kind of didn't get a good good run. So South China Seas wasn't on shelves for that long, and it's very rare and pretty expensive as a result. And I think somewhat similarly, Frozen North, and yeah, I'm seeing this right now, actually. Frozen North was February 14th, 2007. Ocean's Edge came out April 18th, 2007. So that's only two months in between sets from Frozen North to Ocean's Edge, and we all know Ocean's Edge has been overproduced to an extreme, the most common and cheapest set. So Although I like that they released a lot of ships and sets in the short time span that the game was in production for, uh, maybe it was a little too much too soon, or at least um, they could have done a little better job in terms of those sets uh, specifically, like they could have spaced it out a little bit better, uh, Caribbean got delayed, and there were just problems in general uh, with some of the sets not being balanced, which we've talked about in the set reviews and whatnot. So anyway, short history of the game. One thing I find really interesting and kind of kind of crazy to think about is that now here in 2018 the game has actually been out of print for pretty much a full decade. So now we've been uh, we've experienced more more than twice as many years 
having the game in out-of-print status as when it was in print, because it was in print for like four or five years, and now it's been <laughs> 10 years, so more than twice as long uh, since it's been out of print, so kind of crazy. And it does kind of illustrate that the game is kind of old, quote-unquote, in in some ways at least, um, not compared to you know other games, but in general, uh, you could classify it as that uh, in terms of some of the modern board game landscape, which I don't know much about because I'm not really a board gamer. I would never call myself that, but Pirates is my, my obsession in that regard, without a doubt. So I'll get into the next section here. So tips on building fleets, how to build fleets, and I might try to do some of the how and why of some of the fleets I've built. And one thing I want to mention, and I've got my fan site up right now, uh, pirateswithben.com, and I talk about how generic crew are the backbone of any fleet on the gameplay page, where I've got some tips and tricks for, for, for playing and whatnot. So, yeah, Captain Helmsman and Explorers ruled this game. So, a lot of thing, a lot of times I see newbies not really optimizing their crew setups. So, in terms of crew selection, every gunship will definitely have a captain, the captain ability, so you can move and shoot with the same move action. And Helmsman on pretty much every gold runner, not not quite, not it's not quite as essential to have crew on a gold runner. Some gold runners are actually better without any crew, especially if that the ability that gives you plus S to your base move with no cargo aboard, for example. Uh, they're better empty. But most gold runners will want a helmsman to get plus S to their base move because speed is extremely important in this game. It can't really be overvalued uh, for the most part. So helmsman on just about every gold runner, definitely a captain on every gunship. And to extend upon that, I would say almost every gunship will also have a helmsman along with a captain because gunships really need to get the first shot to be effective. And without Helmsman, most gunships aren't fast enough without a Helmsman plus S boost to catch enemy gold runners, which is another function of the gunship role. So almost every gunship is going to have a captain and a Helmsman, so that pretty much adds five points to the ship's cost, and usually two cargo spaces taken up as well. That's just a general rule um, you'll want to wanna go with, at least in terms of playing reasonably competitively. Um, so for example, if it's you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound mean or anything, but like a newbie versus a newbie, they might not, they might not understand fully that uh, optimizing your gunships with Captain and Helmsman are, is always the best way to go. So they might, they might have neither, even if they have, you know, HMS Endeavor. And then, you know, that could play out in an interesting way. It would be kind of cool to do like a no crew game once in a while. That's another, yet another variant of how to change up your games, which is a recurring theme on some of these off episodes as I talked about last episode. But anyway, so once you once you get the hang of, into the swing of things though, captains and helmsmen on just about every gunship, if you know, if you want to win, if you want to play reasonably competitively, and if your opponent is, you know, not a newbie player, you're you're probably gonna have to do that to to stay in the games a lot of times. And then sometimes, depending on the cargo space available, sometimes gold runners will want helmsmen and explorers. And I do know that some people do prefer explorers over helmsmen because it saves a turn, essentially, of moving when you can you can explore a, a wild island as part of the move action, with the explorer keyword, of course. And they're a point cheaper, so they're technically half the cost of Helmsman, one point versus two. But like I said, if, if you've got at least, I would say five would be the minimum cargo to work with, at least in general. You could you could play around with four, but I would try to have at least five cargo spaces um, in the in a ship's base stats in order to put a Helmsman and Explorer aboard to, in, a, in a Gold Runner. Then you'd have three spaces left over uh, for coins. 
And there is a weird rule where you can dump the explorer and take a coin, but I don't like it and I don't think it should be allowed. So I'm not going to go into detail on that. You can find more on that in the forums at Miniature Trading and in the Pirate Code, I believe, as well. So just to kind of start off this little tips for fleet building, don't neglect generic crew. They're extremely important. Oarsmen are fantastic as well. I will say shipwrights are often overrated because a lot of times you don't have time to repair before a battle ends. And then once the battle ends, in a lot of the games people play, I'm trying to cater to the audience here, which I know would be most people who play, you know, 40 to 100 points or, you know, 30 to 80, for example. And just in general, a lot of 40, 50 point games, uh, 40, 50, 60, for example. So in those games, I've never really found shipwrights to be all that great, because even if you can repair after the battle without going home, um, a lot of times an en another enemy gunship might show up in the meantime, and then... You know, you might spend two or three turns repairing, but if you make any mistakes in that time period and you're vulnerable, um, then they might, an enemy gunship could show up and hit you three times and then there go three turns of repairing. So it's not really that advantageous in these shorter, smaller games to have shipwrights around. And then if you are able to go home and repair, uh, you can't be shot at while you are repairing Dr. Your Home Island. So then you could, that's another, you know, kind of point against shipwrights, I guess. I don't want to hate on them too much. I still think they're a cool crew. They can still be useful, definitely. And I'd like to hear more um, from the audience if they, if, if you have used them effectively, especially in small games where I don't really find them all that useful. But I've got to hear about, you know, extremely veteran players who use shipwrights effectively, uh, you know, very often. So it's just not something you really hear about too much. So anyway, kind of kind of a crew that's somewhat overrated by Newer players, I would say Cannoneers fit that mold as well to some extent. Getting a, a three cannon reshoot um, is just not really worth two points for the most part when you can get a Helmsman for that cost. Or even assuming that you've got Captain Helmsman, Explorers, Oarsmen all optimized on your ships, um, oftentimes I'd rather have like two versions of Fire Shot on different gunships for those two points of the Cannoneer, or maybe extra Oarsmen for Sack or an extra Oarsman for a ship or whatever, so a lot of times um, cannoneers and musketeers just aren't really worth the cost. At least that's in my experience quite often. So anyway, so generic back, generic crew are the backbone of, of fleets, and you'll kind of see that here as we get into some of my fleets. First, I'm going to look at HMS Grand Temple, which is a 40-point fleet created by myself, and this is a pirate English uh, dual nationality fleet. It's pretty much English, but anyway... So this is a fleet I've used quite effectively. Um, this one is actually 29 and 13. It's my most tested fleet that I've ever had. So 42 games played total, 29 and 13 for a 690 winning percentage. So pretty impressive. It's uh, it's not as good against like gold fleets and one-on-one um, -on -one death matches against ships like El Corazado, of course. But in general, it's still a very effective fleet. And it's kind of meant for deathmatch, as you'll see, but it can also do pretty well in gold games. So it's basically HMS Grand Temple, the English six-massive junk from Ocean's Edge, um, 15 points, three cargo, SS move, great cannons, junk keyword, and pirate crew can use their abilities on this ship, which is really important because that allows Calico Cat aboard from the same set, Ocean's Edge. She gives you the extra action and world hater abilities for just six points, when normally they're about nine combined. So extra action on a five or six uh, D6 roll, and then plus one to cannon rolls against any non-pirate ship, So which is kind of funky on an English ship. 
but it still works pretty well as long as you're not facing the pirates. So that makes the cannons two S's at the bow and then one L's, four one L cannons essentially with World Hater of Calco Cat. And again, she comes on via the, the ship ability. But of course, you're wondering why I don't have Captain Houseman. Those are the next two crew. So Lord Thomas Gunn from Ocean's Edge. This is actually an all Ocean's Edge setup uh, if you use the Houseman from OE anyway. But Lord Thomas Gunn has Captain and the reroll ability, which is perfect for Calco Cat's extra action. So this gets into combos. That's another survey results suggestion that I've seen multiple times now. Uh, combos and how to use them effectively and things like that. And combos outside of, you know, basic ones like Hammersmith. So one of the best combos, of course, is either extra action or same action twice. Uh, you roll a d6, then on a 5 or 6, you get either an extra action or the same action twice. So EA is a little bit better, but it's also two points more expensive, five points versus three for the most part. And reroll is perfect. So once per turn, you may reroll any die roll you make for the ship. You must use the second die roll result. That's perfect for those two abilities because you're probably not going to get a five or six all that often unless you're lucky. And a lot of players aren't so lucky in this game, including myself. But if you get that reroll, uh, it gives you a whole new chance of getting a 5 or 6, so it dram dramatically increases your odds of getting an extra action or same action twice, and that is an amazing ability for gunships and gold runners, but especially for gunships, because they're going to be the ones, you know, that you're going to spend a lot of points on. They're going to be the ones in combat way more often. So, so along with Captain Reroll via Lord Thomas Gunn, I've got a Helmsman aboard. So that increases the ship's base move to three S's, so S plus S plus S, and it's also kind of quote-unquote perfect because it fills up all three spaces of the ship's cargo hold and almost maxima maximizes her point costs of 15 with 14 points of crew, so 29 points total for the combo. Well worth it, though, and I would say pretty much overpowered. HMS Grand Temple is probably at least a 20-point ship. Calico Cat should cost about 9 points, so realistically this combo could easily cost... Um, What's that? Another 8, so probably another 37 points instead of 29. So it's a very cost-effective combo. Kind of overpowered, without a doubt. But anyway, this is one of my oldest fleets, too. This is from 2011. So, And of course, links uh, in the in the poster description where you can see it on Miniature Trading, along with the other things I'm talking about in this podcast. So overall, we've got basically an amazing gunship moving up to 6S with up to 12 shots. Uh, very accurate, devastating. So that's the main ship. And then HMS London is the other ship. So this is a four-masted English gunship from Crimson Coast, 11 points, four cargo, SS move. All four cannons are rank two and kind of an irrelevant ability, but I've got captain and helmsman aboard. So although the ship's base move is S plus S, that's pretty good. But I know I want all my gunships moving at least S plus L or L plus S in general. So SS is a little slower than that. So I put a helmsman aboard to make it 3S, and then it's the same base uh, overall speed as HMS Grand Temple. So when HMS Grand Temple doesn't get the extra action, she can team with HMS London and go the same speed if they want to if they want to tag team together. So of course the captain comes aboard, necessary for gunships. Then I've got Administrator Scott Bradley aboard, who is the English uh, zero point limit ransom crew that adds plus five points to your build total. So. That makes it overall a 45-point fleet in total and allows the captain helmsman on the London to come on board. So one thing, just want to make sure everyone understands, the, the Zero Limit Ransom Plus 5 crew, it says place this crew face up during setup. 
you may build your fleet using five more points than the build total. So that means you add them after the rest of your fleet is complete. So you can't have like a 45 point fleet with ships that cost like three ships, for example, that cost like 20 points, 10 points and 15 points. You have to have five points separate. So in this case, I do, and it's easy because it's 29 points with the Grand Temple set up. HMS London comes into the fleet to make it 40, and then Brett Bratley comes aboard, and once I place him face up, I can bring in five points extra, which is the Captain Helmsman on the London. Just want to make sure people understand that. And it also says this crew cannot leave the ship unless it's captured or eliminated for Bratley, but that I hope to discuss on a later podcast. So anyway, then I've got some UTs that are negative in nature in case this fleet shows up against uh, some gold running fleets. And it has done pretty well against gold fleets as well, not just in deathmatch games. But in terms of small 40-point deathmatch scenarios, I would say this is one of the better deathmatch fleets out there. Like I said, it's not so great against El Corazado, though. Basically the best gunship in the game. That's one way to beat this fleet, uh, without a doubt. So the Corazado fleet that is my favorite for the El Corazado beat this fleet all three times, actually, back uh, like back in 2012. I've got the battle report posted on the on the fleet page, actually, at Miniature Training. So anyway, so if you haven't checked out this fleet, you can vote or comment. Link in the poster description. So you can see my overall philosophy on building fleets. Max out speed. Here I've got, you know, captains on both gunships, of course, and they're both pretty much optimized. So Bratley is on uh, the London, because she'll see combat last and because I already maxed out the cargo space of the Grand Temple. And by maxing out the cargo space of the Grand Temple, I got Calico Cataboard. So that maximizes the ship's ability. I'm not wasting HMS Grand Temple's ability to allow pirate crew aboard. Instead, I'm putting on a discount uh, pirate crew, Calico Cat, saving three points on the extra action and world hater abilities, and also combining them into one cargo space. So through the Grand Temple's ability to allow pirate crew aboard, and the two named crew aboard, I basically have five crew abilities in the three cargo spaces on HMS Grand Temple. So that's another way to make gunships really good. I don't really think having low cargo is all that uh, problematic for gunships, and I've talked about this a little bit in the past. You really, you really only need two cargo to work with. Uh, three, is, three is a bit better because then you can do a little bit more with named crew. But there's plenty of great crew options, there's linking options, there's a lot of named crew with more than one ability on the same crew, so you you know, two abilities in one cargo space. So there's a lot of ways to make low cargo on gunships work. And, you know, the opposite is obviously true for gold runners for the most part, unless they're really cheap and they don't need any helmsmen to go fast, like SSS with three cargo for under 10 points would, you know, that could work for a gold runner. But anyway, so here I've got... Here I've got a, a very combative fleet, but I'll move on to the next one, which is called Cheapskate Pirate All-Stars. This is another 40-point fleet, changed to 45 with, in this case, the Hag of Tortuga, which is the pirate version of the Zero Limit Ransom plus 5 to build total crew. Um, the main five factions got that crew. The Cursed actually didn't get it. Jade Rebellion did, so there's six factions total with it. And uh, so this fleet... Is basically you can you can make theme fleets. So in this case, I knew the pirates had a lot of great cheap ships, and I knew I could make some of them hybrids when people wouldn't be expecting them to be hybrids necessarily. So and by hybrid, I just mean multi-purpose ships. So a ship that can get gold and fight in the same game, uh, due to crew setups and just you know the nature of the ship in general. 
So like La Santa Isabel or the San Cristobal, those are two great Spanish hybrids that you may know already. Of course, the Dark Hawk too, for example, from Spanish Maine. So Cheapskate Pirate All-Stars, you can kind of understand the name right off the bat. I'm going with cheap ships, all-star, all-star as I like to call it, uh, pirate ships. So the Longshanks is the first one. It's a six-point pirate ship with four Caro SL Mu, rank three cannons, and the captain comes aboard, along with the Hag of Tortugas. Then I've got two cargo spaces open, and I've got a solid hybrid setup, so she's built to, to fight and carry gold. So, so that's actually the largest ship in the fleet. The next ship is the Carrion Crow, which is a two-master two with two S cannons, SS move, four points with a captain aboard. One thing about the Crow I don't like too much is that if she was five points, you could put a captain and a helmsman aboard, but with four, you can't really do both. So due to uh, crew not being able to cost more than the ship costs. So just the captain on this one, kind of slow at S plus S for a gunship, but kind of just an auxiliary ship, not really one of the one of, one of the breadwinners of the fleet, unlike the next two. And I'm not really, I don't like to always use like overpowered ships, but this is a fleet I came up with just as a themed fleet and uh, one that I think could do well in games, but one that I, I haven't tried it out yet. So, uh, but yeah, the next one, Bloody Jewel is a, an amazing pirate gold runner, six points for five cargo, two masts, SL move. And her cannons are actually 3L3S. So most people would use the Bloody Jewel as just a, as just a gold runner, maybe a helmsman and or explorer. But I've got her with a captain in this case. Then she still has four cargo, SL move, so she's got room for four coins, good enough speed, and then she's got a couple of rank three cannons. So kind of a kind of a surprise hybrid. And in this case, I would probably leave the captain face down. I don't usually play with face down crew for a variety of reasons, but in a more competitive game, I would keep the the captain face down, and maybe um, my maybe my opponent would hope that it was an explorer, and I flip the captain to. Uh, to have like a surprise hybrid of sorts. And you could, if you had points, a little bit more points, you could put a cap Captain and Helmsman on the Bloody Jewel for 11 total points. You'd have SLS speed and then three cargo, still plenty you know, plenty for some coins to come aboard. So, and then next ship, next few have flotillas behind them. So the Banshees cry, of course, the one master with LL speed, four cargo for just three points. And then the Dubmox is being towed so for flotillas, one thing I would say for flotillas is you want to have a, a ship with at least S plus L base move because flotillas, uh, in their keyword, it says that they can't, um, the ship towing them can't use any movement bonuses. So there's no point in putting a helmsman on a ship that's towing a flotilla because they can't use the bonus anyway. So you want to have a fast base move to start with. It's pretty much like the opposite of towing derelict ships. So... Banshee's Cry at L plus L is a really fast ship, so therefore she's a good candidate to tow a flotilla. In this case, I like the idea of a defensive gold runner of sorts. So the Banshee's Cry doesn't have any crew, but she's got all four cargo spaces open for gold. And the Doombox not only will be moving at L plus L, which is really good, but due to, and this is something I find underrated, but due to the Banshee's Cry, um, her beam or her width, the width of the ship is is pretty small. It's just a one-masted sloop, so it's not a big ship. The Doombox should have very good firing angles and firing arcs kind of ahead of the Banshee's Cry. So those cannons should reach past the Banshee's Cry and ahead of the ship. And not only that, but she'll have just a good, good clear lines of fire in general for the Doombox. So I think towing 
uh, flotillas with small and like skinny ships, two-masted schooners would work decently as well. Um, so although flotillas can be great as part of a as a, a larger squadron with gunships, larger ships towing them, that's fine too, and there's no problem with that. But I think um, it might be a little bit underrated to tow them with fast sloops, like one-masted sloops like the Manjeet's Cry, and you've got really nice firing arcs going ahead of the ship and around it in general. So you've got a nice defensive like arc of fire uh, around the around the ship to protect it. So and then the mermaid has the same speed for two points, kind of a silly ship. Um, of course, Vengeance Cry is even better, but anyway, you can see the fleet, and then I've got the rover as well. The mermaid was towing the Widowmaker, and the rover is just to fill out the points. So six ships um, and two flotillas, so eight ships, quote unquote, total for just forty-five points. Um, so pretty impressive pirate fleet. And I've got the fourth set up as well. So this is a, just a a theme fleet using cheap pirate ships that are kind of like the all-stars of the faction. A lot of classic pirate stuff from the first uh, handful of sets. So, and then the last fleet I'll talk about today, I might talk about that one another time, but the last fleet I'll talk about today is just kind of a, kind of a caveat. So there's a lot of things we talk about on the podcast. There's always like, there's some rules, but then there's exceptions to those. And then there's, you know, of course, there's the pirate code where there's tons of exceptions to all sorts of stuff um, and answers that you can find in there. So, but getting to my point, though, although generic crew is the backbone of any fleet, there are some ways to minimize how many crew you need to have an effective fleet. So, for example, if you if you're if all the ships in your fleet have a base move of S plus L, or better, like LL or triple S, you might not need helmsman on every ship. You might, you could maybe, if you really wanted to, you could go with no helmsman at all uh, to change things up or maybe surprise your opponent with different crew if they were face down, things like that. And there's also one ship with the captain bully built in. So this fleet, minimal crew at Miniature Trading Center, 40 point fleet, I've got, this fleet is set up to, to function pretty well without crew. Wolf has a really interesting fleet called uh, Denial of Service Attack, which is a 100-point fleet, which is a totally different concept, but really cool. And uh, this one, minimal, minimal crew, is just like it sounds. So USS Stevens actually has the captain ability built in. This is an American five-masted gunship. So she's got captain and the reverse captain ability built in, but captain is what we're after. So this one has a helmsman aboard and nothing else, which is really weird for a gunship, but she's already got captain as part of the ship ability. Uh, the only ship like that in the game that I that I know of, and therefore she's actually got three cargo spaces open. She could do kind of a hybrid setup if she wanted to. Um, and then the next ship, San Pedro, is a good Spanish gold runner. She's got an explorer aboard, but you could just go without too. You don't really need the explorer. And then finally, the last ship, Le Bon Marine, is a French gold runner, six points, one mass, four cargo, SL move, and the explorer ability built in, so she can dock and explore a wild island using the same move action. So that one doesn't need any crew either. I like to put a helmsman on the Bone Marine in general, but she doesn't really need it. So this is a good example of how there's a lot of exceptions, even to the advice we give as well, or the advice that I give. Uh, there's exceptions even to that too. So you can kind of work around things, especially if you have a larger collection and you do have USS Stevens and the Bone Marine. You could actually make a fleet with minimal crew, just like the name suggests. And, uh, kind of surprise your opponent or shock them a bit and still have quite an effective fleet without hardly any crew in general. So out of the 40 points in this fleet, 
Uh, 37 are from ships, only 3 points worth of crew total. No captains, even though there's reasonable fighting capability present. So, pretty interesting. And like I said, there's uh, there's exceptions to plenty of the things in this game. So, getting into the next section of the podcast, um, I'm going to go over just a couple, not too much, but off the top of my head, a few interesting little things about keywords, because a lot of people are wondering about rules and gameplay in general. Those are two of the most popular suggestions from the survey results. So one thing to talk about is black marks. So this is a somewhat rare keyword that shows up on some named crew, and it showed up first in Davy Jones's Curse, uh, when the Curse were introduced, of course. So black mark says, this crew may begin the game as a member of the Cursed Nation instead of its own. If it does, place it face up during setup on a ship of its original nationality. That ship and this crew immediately become members of the Cursed Nation. Other crew aboard the ship retain their original nationalities, which is actually bad, which I'll talk about in a second. If cursed, this crew costs one additional point against the point limit of the ship. So, so the cost goes up by one against the point limit of the ship, So, which is kind of a weird one. That's definitely one of the weirder parts of keywords and kind of the base reason for why I'm talking about this one in the first place. But Black Mark is a bit confusing. I had a little trouble a few years ago making a fleet with this this keyword because uh, I'm trying to make a gunship set up with the Crystal Del Obispo and the Inquisitor for David Jones's Curse, who has Black Mark. And I wanted to have um, Cursed and Spanish crew aboard, but it doesn't really work like that because... You place it face up during setup, so that's before the game starts. That ship and this crew immediately become members of the Cursed Nation. So that means that um, the other crew aboard, they retain their original nationalities, but since the ship becomes cursed, they can't use their abilities anymore. So if you use Black Mark, you're basically going all cursed with that ship. So instead of having Spanish and Cursed crew, you basically have to go all cursed. And I made the fleet work out eventually, but kind of a kind of jump through some loops or hoops, I guess, to make it work out. Um, but it was, it was an interesting kind of uh, kind of lesson in fleet design, or not so much fleet design, but it's just using Black Mark in general. So just a word of caution with Black Mark. It's interesting, but it really, it really forces you to go cursed with the whole ship and the rest of the crew. So you would basically turn the, turn the crew cursed with Black Mark at the beginning of the game, and then get the other cursed crew aboard as well, rather than um, crew of the ship's original nationality, because that changes, and therefore they won't be able to use their abilities, unless you got a house rule, of course, but that's not what I'm really talking about. So anyway, trying to think what the other ones were. Oh yeah, this one came up on a podcast, maybe the Frozen North one. <clears throat> so the longship keyword, everybody just associates it with uh, rolling two dice per mast, so you have two cannons per, per mast, basically. But you also get plus one to your boarding rolls if you ram. So the long ship keyword says if the ship rams, it gets plus one to its boarding roll. So that's a nice, nice little addition to the long ship keyword. There's other stuff too that is very similar to oarsman and schooner and whatnot. But anyway, and then just another one. I'm not going to go through all the keywords, but for example, marine. The last line of marine says, unlike other abilities, the marine keyword is cumulative. If two or more crew with this ability are on a ship or island, they may all use their ability during the same turn. So it's not very practical, but you could basically put two Marines on the same ship and they would both get their own, you know, shoot actions. So 
So anyway, an island, of course, that makes more sense. But either way, so the marine keyword basically doesn't, um, it pretty much doesn't adhere to the no stacking rule, unlike musketeers. So one thing I did, one thing that can be kind of fun to do is put a marine and a musketeer on the same ship, and then you get two extra cannons. So you could turn a five-masted gunship into like a seven a seven shot gunship of sorts. Um, it's kind of funky, but anyway, so you get an extra 2S and an extra 3S cannon. But the problem is it'll cost you a minimum of like six or seven or eight points. So just two cannons for that is usually not worth it. Usually a better named crew available. So now I'm just gonna go to the pirate code real quick just to mention something that I find kind of amusing and interesting, kind of a loophole that I haven't seen people use much or talk about. I don't think it's all that common knowledge. So under equipment in the pirate code, there's all sorts of great gems and hidden, not so much hidden, but just kind of unknown knowledge in the pirate code. So I, I haven't like read it front to back on purpose, like a book or anything. But over the years since like 2011 or whenever, um, I've probably read almost every sentence in it, I would think, uh, through the years, through the games and whatnot that I've played. So under equipment on page three, this is under the section called General Rules, Questions, and Terminology. On page three, it looks like the parrot code. Under equipment, the last line says, equipment may be assigned to sea creatures provided they have sufficient cargo space available. So this is because the sea creature keyword disallows crew aboard, but it came out, that came around in Dave Jones's Curse and equipment didn't show up until much later in Fire and Steel, uh, well, a couple of years later in real time, but feels like a lot longer <laughs> when we talk about the sets, of course. But anyway, so so sea creatures that have enough cargo, for example, like the ones from uh, Davy Jones's Curse, some of them have like five cargo. So you could do something really quite bizarre, I would say, and load up. Um, let me actually, let me get the database up here and take a peek at a few of the, of the sea monsters from Davy Jones's Curse. Let me just get the setup here. For example, I think God Clockthoth, I think most of the sea monsters uh, from this set do have cargo space. And we're going to see a few of them here, especially if you're seeing this on video. So yeah, for example, let's go with uh, God Clockthoth, the first one that shows up. This is a sea monster with five cargo. So you could put up to five equipment. It's 19 point creature. So, you know, there's not going to, equipment is really cheap like three points or less for the most part. So you're not gonna run out of point cap space, but you could put up to five different equipments on this thing. So you could load up this sea monster with like double shot, exploding shot, fire shot, stink pot shot, and smoke pot shot if you wanted to. I mean, it's a really funny concept that I haven't heard people talk about hardly at all, or maybe never. And uh, it's, it's not, I'm not gonna say it's all that practical. Sea monsters in general are not practical and you're going to lose the equipment as soon as the, the sea monster loses its final segment, unless it's eternal or something. So I really highly recommend it, but it is kind of a funny idea that I think has some potential. So anyway, I think it would be cool to see a, uh, a squid that has like fire shot and it could have a fire breathing squid or, or even more fitting would be one of the sea serpents because it looks like all four of the sea serpents from uh, from the main set, anyway, of Davy Jones' Curse have four cargo piece. You could put fire shot and exploding shot on those and then stay submerged and then surface and start setting your opponents on fire. So, and then of course it goes even 
it gets even crazier because you could put the letters of Mark, which allow you to use Parley. So it's kind of a funny thematic situation where you could use, um, you could with one of, oh, that gets into something I talked about earlier. So this is a perfect little segue. So since the zero limit ransom plus five to build total crew allow you to bring in five points once you've seen your opponent's fleet because you add the points, the five points during setup, you can see your opponent's fleet is, let's say, Spanish, and then you could bring in Spanish Letter of Mark and put it aboard a sea monster that has at least one cargo space, and then your opponent would probably be confused from the start, and you, you might have to even get the pirate code out or or the or the complete game rules where the sea creature keyword talks about how you can't put crew, but equipment aren't crew, so it's exempt, and uh, and then you could you could really pull a shocker and have a sea creature with cargo use parley against your opponent's faction-based ships. So anyway, I just think there's some potential in this kind of weird niche uh, line in the pirate code, which is uh, I find quite interesting. And of course, it also opens up the, the possibility of using some pretty crazy equipment, custom equipment. So I've got some weird ones that I probably would rather not see on a sea monster for a variety of reasons. Even fire shot and exploding shot is kind of weird to think about. Um, uh, they they store it in their mouth maybe and then they regurgitate the, the exploding shot onto an opposing ship i don't know but anyway so with the custom equipment you could do even more crazy stuff um with with sea monsters that have cargo so although sea monsters having cargo usually isn't relevant because they don't usually steal much gold or they're a lot of times they're just too slow to catch enemy gold runners in general so they're not going to steal coins with that cargo space they have available but you know, a niche, a niche little fun thing to do once in a while would be to assign equipment to a, a sea creature with cargo. And of course, you could do this with the Titans as well, but it's not as shocking since they can carry crew anyway. So that wraps up the, the Pirate CSG discussion. I'll quickly, uh, this is getting a little longer than I was expecting. Um, like I said on the last episode, trying to make the episodes a bit shorter, a little more digestible. Might record two two podcasts in one sitting once in a while and a lot of people want 60 minutes or less like 60 or 30 minute episodes this one's around 40 now but anyway just going to wrap up with a quick little movie discussion on the Pirates of the Caribbean movies I know this can be kind of a hot topic for people but anyway so I would rank um in Pirates of the Caribbean movies I would rank Curse of the Black Pearl and At World's End pretty much tied for the number one spot and I know a lot of people liked the first one way more than all the rest, and I understand that. I think it's more a perfect movie than At World's End, but I think At World's End makes up for it a little bit in just sheer epicness and grand scale, which are two things that I find uh, really fascinating, not only in movies, but just in life in general. And you, you might have already seen evidence of this if you've seen some of my campaign games like Command the Oceans, for example, the biggest recorded game of pirates ever played and documented. Um, it reached over 9,000 total points, and so my fascination with the epic has, uh, has led me to rank At World's End tied with Curse of the Black Pearl. I do think The Curse of the Black Pearl is a more perfect movie, though, uh, and I, and in that regard, I would say it is, like, the perfect movie, especially for me, because I just love the theme, and I'm just, I'm super interested in Age of Sail, warfare and combat, and that historical period in general, so anyway... So I guess the tiebreaker would go to Curse of the Black Pearl because it doesn't have um, the somewhat needless plot complications. I guess it makes At World's End a little bit more epic, but it does make it harder to follow as well. There's so many deals, and there's so much. There's a lot of 
plot confusion in the third one. So anyway, and it's a little it is a little disappointing that TV Jones was kind of a kind of a puppet and uh, the Kraken is not alive at all for the third one. I'm not the biggest fan of sea creatures, as I've said, of course, but but it would be cool to see the Kraken either defeated or I don't know, some just some kind of at least one scene where the Kraken was living in the third one would have been cool, even if it's killed off like at the beginning of the movie or something. So speaking of the Kraken, I thought that was a good part of Davy Jones' curse, which I would rank, I guess you could say third or second behind the two that are tied, in my opinion. So the second part of the Caribbean movie, Dead Man's Chest, I thought it was great, but I think um obviously one and three I think are definitely better. Um Three is just way more epic, and one is certainly a better movie overall. Two was a tiny bit disappointing. Still a really great movie. I love. I do like the combat at the end a lot, but I was disappointed there wasn't really a real ship-to-ship battle, because by the time um, the Black Pearl escapes, you know, it's cool to see the, Davy, the Flying Dutchman use the bow chasers, and that actually inspired my custom bow chasers equipment. But overall, it's a little disappointing to see... Um, the Flying Dutchman, not really face off against the Black Pearl in a full, like, ship-to-ship battle, because Black Pearl versus Interceptor is still one of my favorite movies, or one of my favorite scenes, I should say, from any movie, and one of the better combat scenes I've seen, uh, so, at least for me, personally, so. And then, of course, the Kraken, it's kind of a funky ending to it. I think it's good that they made it a little bit more of a sad ending, um, rather than just having, like, a perfect Disney, you know, happy ending which is really predictable, but I don't know, having, having the Kraken replace like a ship to ship battle for a historical, you know, leaning person like me, it was a little disappointing. So anyway, but that's not the only reason though. I just think one and three, one and three are just better movies. And, uh, and, and three is just more epic than two. Uh, I think by kind of a large margin in my opinion. So, um, and I would say when I rewatched these in 20, I guess, 16? I'm trying to think. It's already been a while since the fifth one came out. I rewatched them mostly in 2016, I guess, in anticipation of uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales coming out in May 2017. I was shocked by how funny the third one was. Like, I always think of it as, like, this epic combat, like, amazing, like, epic movie. Super long. The longest one, I'm pretty sure. And, uh, but there's still a ton of humor. Like, they didn't lose any of the humor of the first two and the third one, if anything. It's one of the funniest of the series, so that just elevates three even more, in my opinion. I was kind of surprised, because uh, it had been the first time in, like, two, three years since I'd rewatched it. So, anyway, so the third one is actually really high on humor as well. So, <clears throat> I would rank the fifth one, the most recent one, fourth overall. Uh, it just doesn't have the magic of the first three. Uh, the cast, they wasted. I made a big post on, about this on Magistrating after the movie came out. I think they wasted the cast a bit. Um, like Will Turner, Elizabeth Swan, and um, and randomly uh, Paul McCartney. <laughs> um, those three had like probably five minutes or so of combined screen time, which I thought was really disappointing and a big waste. And I don't think they made it clear enough the roles would be lower based on the previews. Like you knew the you knew the newer the newer kids on the block, so to speak. Um, Henry and Karina would would star more, but. Uh, it was a little disappointing to not see some of the old hands uh, with more time, but and the newer the newer actors weren't as good as uh, I'd hoped they would be. They were okay, but anyway, it just doesn't have the same qualities as the original trilogy. 
also thought it was a little too magical with the Trident of Poseidon. Kind of, it kind of was a little over the top with the ocean splitting. It was okay, but some of the finale was a little funky with the astronomy connection and things like that. It kind of, it kind of took me out of Pirates of the Caribbean theme a little bit, but it went a little too too much into like astronomy and like Disney craziness. It was a little excessive for me, as compared to like Curse of the Black Pearl or even At World's End. It's a little, I don't know. It was about the Trident of Poseidon, but it felt they took away from the naval theme at some points a little bit too much for me personally. But that being said, I would still rank it ahead of On Stranger Tides, of course, which I would rank last. But the one thing about Stranger Tides, I will say is that I had way lower expectations going into it than most people, evidently, because I was actually, I still enjoyed the movie a lot. I think the key was to have lower expectations for that one, um, because you knew going into it that um, some of the main cast wouldn't be back, and it was a different, it was like a reboot, and it was a very different situation than, you know, going into Outworld's End, which was like the epic trilogy conclusion, for example. So, so I would say... On Stranger Tides, actually, I think it's slightly underrated just because expectations were a bit too high. But and then and I talked about this on the forum a little bit. It's kind of the opposite happened with with uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales because with that one, my expectations were too high because uh, those casts from the from the trilogy were coming back, but then they hardly showed up. So it's like for me, it was kind of like a reverse expectation thing. So so I was. My expectations for On Stranger Tides were, like, suitably, I wouldn't say low, but, you know, they were a little bit tempered compared to most people coming off at World's End were still super hyped. But then, for this movie, I actually got too excited for Ten Men Tell No Tales, because I think they wasted their star power, without a doubt, so that was disappointing. But, anyway, still amazing movies, though, and I will say, um, I still enjoy them a ton. I hope they keep making them, and, uh... Even on Stranger Tides, I just love it. I, just, I think it's an amazing movie, and it's just the theme and the the thematics of it and the scenery and just everything about it. Just I absolutely adore and love. So hopefully they'll make more. But anyway, I should wrap up this podcast here. I've got a question of the day uh, related to Pirate CSB again. So if you had to hear a discussion about one game piece on the Pirate CSB podcast, which would it be? So you can only pick one thing. You could pick uh, an explorer, I guess, if you wanted to, or, you know, Calypso. And we hopefully uh, there will be an episode in the future where we talk about some of the bigger game pieces we've been hinting at and some of the ones we didn't really want to do justice in the set reviews just because we would talk about, you know, one thing for like 20 minutes, which isn't really the point of the set reviews. So if you had to hear a discussion about one game piece uh, release then what would it be? You could include Return to Savage Shores as well. Doesn't really matter. So anyway, and it could be it could be a specific mysterious island, or you know, or you know, most people might pick like a named crew or a ship, but you don't have to. So anyway, so that's the question of the day. This was Pirate CSG podcast number thirty, and this is a Sonic Fan Ben signing off for now. So thanks for listening. <laughs>